Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of Anime Trending. We are back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I am joined by... Hello, I am Isabel, and... This is Agnes. So, without further ado, the Girl Taku today will be about our favorite anime world, which, you know, this is really fun, and I do want to make sure that there's a distinction. Just because it's our favorite anime world does not mean that we actually want to live in it. You know, there's a difference between enjoying it for what it is and actually being in the situation itself. So with that being said, Isabel, it is fitting that you start us off this week since I and I was the one who uh, led us last week on the trope dissection. So, you know, what are your favorite anime worlds that you have experienced so far? Yeah, the first one I have is a perfect example of a world that I find interesting, but I do not know if I would actually live there. Mm -hmm. um, and that, well, technically I do live in there in terms of the US because it's based in New York City. Oh! You guys might know what I'm going to be talking about, which is uh, Blood Blockade Battlefront. Uh, <gasps> Sen -sen. Oh, <laughs> okay, yeah, mm -hmm. go on. <laughs> I just find the world really interesting. So, you know, in in the show, the New York City is the setting for it. And... um. And it's, it's because of the great catastrophe, it's kind of like that. And everything outside of New York City is in a haze. But everything, you know, there's like monsters and stuff like that, or just kind of like weird beings all around. And I feel like that's interesting to me to see all these things happen. I think the best scene that actually explains what goes on is when um, one of the characters, a side character, Blitz uh, Abrahams, walks into the scene and... He he attracts everything that goes wrong. So, just seeing him walking into the, uh, you know, just walking across trying to get some, I, maybe some hamburgers, I believe, with Leo. Everyone is like, I we don't want to stay next to him because he's lucky for himself because you know things um, things crash around him. Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> wasn't it more because like he kind of takes the luck of other yeah. people, so <laughs> so he's always going to be fine and invincible in that sense. But everyone yeah. else is like kind of screwed when he comes around. So <laughs> exactly. So I feel like the chaos that surrounds him kind of describes what the city's like. I feel like. Um, you know, with the um, buildings and other characters that are from other worlds um, that kind of come into the city, but they don't really know why that happens. or And then people just accept other people for what they are. I really like that as well in the world. And, you know, there's still cars and stuff like that. So it feels like New York City, but, you know, a different type of New York City. And, um, yeah, I personally like traveling there. I traveled there probably like last year or so, and I feel like it's so different um, from where I am in California. So... And I just like how everything's close together. I think uh, Blood Blockade Battlefront really is able to capture what New York City is like with all chaos and lots of people. And I think that's what really makes it fun for me. <laughs> oh, I didn't even think it about think about it that way. But it's like they sort of took all the most chaotic parts of New York City and then exaggerated it with like more aliens. I guess is the best way to put mm -hmm. it. <laughs> So you wouldn't want to go to New York City and have like random flying monsters in the sky <laughs> with like mercenary groups fighting uh, fighting them, would you? <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I would. I would. I would steal the luck that Abraham's has, um, and then, <laughs> uh, 
and then go around the city with him probably so I can be safe <laughs> while watching everything. Can you imagine the cost for demolitions and oh, everything God. all the rockets oh, and complete chaos going around? <laughs> My favorite part of Kekai Sensen is that the characters act so immersed in their own world, which is accurate because you don't mm-hmm. sort of blink at the quirks of the world of like the city or the stuff that you grew up around. Like you only notice it because other people point it out and you're like, oh, I didn't know that this was different or unique per se. But the Kekai Sensei's world is so wild. And for all the residents, it's like, eh, it's just another day, you know, um, you know, car- monster trucks that literally eat people. It's another day. <laughs> so, and that's what I really like about is just how the characters are just so like inside the craziness and the chaos of it all that it is just like whatever you know oh no people died because of some chaotic thing that happened that's beyond our control it is what it is um and I think what was I uh trying to think about oh there's like that there's that one antagonist character he like has his eyes covered I think he's voiced by Akira Ishida and He's always sort of releasing random monsters and stuff like that. Like, the residents of New York City never seem to try to get him. Have you guys noticed that? Despite the fact that he's causing all these problems, they just sort of let him exist and let him continue to cause problems. Do you know who I'm talking about? It's the king of despair, right? Yes, yes. Like what? Okay, there you go. Yeah, why don't you just <laughs> let him exist? It's like, it's. I mean, it's the same question as why do we let Trump exist? So, <laughs> well, to be fair, he was not dropping like, well, those pink monsters and test tubes on people's heads that become oh. monsters that eat people. I don't know if you guys remember that or not, but that was actually oh, the first it's episode. From the, yeah, it's from season two. Yep, yep, that's it. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was really funny. I I rewatched that episode a lot because it it just brings me so much joy to see how much panic <laughs> there is. <laughs> I think it's it's because the King of Despair is probably somewhere immortal at some point? Question mark. So there's really no need to seek him out and kill him because he's just gonna come back with a vengeance anyway. Mm. And I feel like they keep it for comedic purposes because the, the Libra organization has their hands tied to do so many things that they can't intervene with every single thing the King of Despair wants to do in his own whim. Yeah, that's true. And I know, Agnes, that you really enjoyed Kekai Sensei. So how did you feel about the world? It was a very interesting world. And I also agree with Isabel that it's one of those things where New York is extraordinarily chaotic and they just amped it up so much more. Because if you look, because when Leonardo comes to the city originally with his sister, they're out to see the Statue of Liberty and you're like, oh, it's so normal. This is New York. And then when you actually go inside the city, you're like, oh, wait, this is not New York anymore. It's um, Jerusalem's lot. Is that what they call it? Or Hell's, hell's, hell's Lot, right? Yeah, Hell's Lot, yeah, basically. There uh-huh. you go. Yeah, it becomes a little literal embodiment of Hell. I think my favorite scene that's the most chaotic is when they're on the subway train. And the subway train goes through a section of the quote-unquote underworld. And there's beasts just peeking out of the clouds and kind of wrapping itself around the train. And everyone's kind of like... It's another day for, you know, a car to get derailed on the track. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! Well, what can we say? New York be crazy sometimes. So. It, it truly is. It truly is. I mean, probably most of us have at least seen videos or been there before, right? Yes, it's pretty yes. crazy. Mm-hmm. 
Though, admittedly, I haven't been there as recent as the both of you have, so uh, my memories of it is a, is a lot more faded versus you two. Well, it's probably the same. It's probably still the same. I don't think New York really changes that much. I have heard the Chinatown has grown quite a bit since the last time I went, so. <laughs> yeah, the Chinatown's pretty huge, and... Yeah, talking about the subways, like I think there was a recent flooding where kind of oh, yeah, yeah. Like, kind of mm-hmm. crazy. they just kind of accept it and they just like okay, well that's there. I'm still gonna take the subway. <laughs> I I would be freaking out honestly. I'd be like okay, uh, maybe I should take an Uber home or something <laughs> instead of taking the subway. It's funny that we talk about the subway because I was I was talking to James about it earlier that in New York compared to other cities, all the subways in New York are really dirty. They're not. I well have heard that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the last time I went to New York, I was really shocked to see, like, gigantic rats just darting over the tracks, which is not something that you would see in Japanese metro stations or French metro stations. So with that comparison, I was, like, kind of aghast. And he was telling me, like, well, the reason why they can't afford to do maintenance so often is because they run the trains almost 24-7, as compared to other countries where it shuts down at a certain period of time. Mm. And so with stuff like floods... And floods is probably something that they do have to address at one point, but it won't be something that's like super urgent as compared to making sure people get to point A to point B at any time of the day. I see. That's that's yeah. interesting because I live in a place where public transportation is practically non-existent. So I'm one of yeah, those no, who's no, always yeah. in the car. So yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't totally understand that. So I was really shocked when he told me that, but it makes a lot of sense because even in Japan, you know, when we watch anime, there's always that one weird segment where the character's like, oh, crap, I have to catch the last train. That's right, oh, yeah. yeah and we're always that. like, mm-hmm. what do you mean the last train? You know, we live we live in suburban communities, so we drive. But compa- compared to that, in New York, the trains run every hour, every minute. Mm-hmm. Regardless of the time and the holiday, it never shuts down. So it shows to say, like, you know, the, the while the New York transit is not necessarily the most organized or the most clean, at least it's making sure that its citizens still commute every day. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Whew. All right. So, Kekai Sensei, what a world. I'm so glad that you decided uh, you picked that anime. But that leads me to the next one, which is, you know, is it similar shades of chaos or did you pick a different world? For- <laughs> <laughs> Knowing Isabel, I think she might have chosen another chaotic situation. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Oh. So what is it? <laughs> I wish I did. I did. Uh, for the second one, I wanted to do more like a fantasy world because, okay, okay, you know, in anime, it's nice that we're able to have um, fantasy kind of brought to a new level, or just you know, towns and stuff like that that are totally different, or visiting ancient empires. So I really like Magi, um, Magi in general, because it kind of goes back to. I want to say India because of the empire and how they dress and everything. Uh, Middle East. Middle, Middle East, East, sorry. Yeah. Cause, no, it's fine. That's good. Yeah, because it's with Aladdin and Alibaba. I was about to yeah, say, isn't like, it based on the Arabian Nights? I was like, that's Middle East, Yeah, it's right? based on the Arabian <laughs> Nights, yeah. Right. I just associate no that part of the thing. But yeah. I mean, they do mm-hmm. have a lot of uh, Indo-China references thrown in the show as well. So it's kind of like an amalgamation of the Middle East and also like India and Asia too. Exactly. And, you know, there are different empires uh, as well. Um, and I think there are definitely references to China and other dynasties that might have existed in the past in Magi. Um, and that's where they all come together. I think the most interesting part is, you know, their relationship to magic 
and um, like a city of mages. I, there's this one part where they visit kind of like a city mm. from just magicians, and I really found that to be super interesting. Um, it kind of feels like a Hogwarts, really. You know, all these wizards are. It does. Coming all <laughs> it together. definitely felt like Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. Especially with the the headmaster, who's kind of all wrinkly, white haired, oh, warts all over his face. I'm like, yeah, that's Dumbledore. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that's 100 percent Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. Except this one is not as kind as Dumbledore. Yeah, so like that city, um, I think it's called Magnostat. I can't really pronounce it, yeah, but that yeah. sounds about right. The city, you know, filled with like places with domes and all these wizards and mages running about. It actually reminds me a lot of. Um, Arcane, which recently came out on Netflix. Mm, oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Arcane was good too. <laughs> yeah. So I like the world building that, but this one also. Uh, well, it was similar. Like, mm-hmm. what reminded you between the two? I think just the design of the buildings, really, with the dome shape. I don't know why. Is that something? Is this something, you know, anything related to like alchemy or magic has to do with that? I don't know if there's a reason why they always um have that type of atmosphere or really architecture really i think alchemy was heavily studied in the middle east if i'm not mistaken because i'm i'm thinking about this because of a novel i read called the alchemist which actually like was uh the main character was middle eastern and like his whole sort of hero's journey slash life realization all took place like in the middle east and so i i think I do believe that alchemy has very strong roots in the Middle East because of that. And with that sense, that particular type of architecture you just described, I do know from my art history class back in college that uh, the that sort of architecture was a very popular style amongst Middle Eastern, um, Middle Eastern like buildings and, you know, historical mm-hmm. sites as well. So, yeah. Yeah, and it reminds me of those ancient type civilizations as well. That's kind of maybe the places that they go to. Um, there's another place where I think in Magi they go to kind of um, like an underground type city where there's buildings sticking out of the cliffs underneath. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I found that to be interesting because I've never really seen, you know, a scene like that or like place where people are living there, you know, is very different. So... I just find that the places that they travel to are very special and there are places that I would like to see, you know, just being able to experience that and seeing how people live in these civilizations uh, would be nice. Out of curiosity, because I know, or actually I don't know, but I don't think you are like Chinese as in like from China and I I do know you're not Vietnamese so um out of curiosity were was there like elements of your own culture inside Maggie that you found in the world as well oh yeah not really so my family is Burmese and so they are close to India uh between India and Thailand but I don't think from what I've seen there because they're heavily influenced by Buddhism and there are some Muslims there as well, but the structures that they have definitely are not the same as the ones in Magi or Middle East, really. Okay. I would say it's more closer to, you know, um, more Asian type structures. Um, yeah, especially when I went to the capital, that was kind of a little different than, uh, it was more closer to maybe, you know, Korean, Japanese type, or even China, really. So that's why. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And uh, I, so I don't have as big, strong opinions as Maggie because I did not finish the series. Please don't be angry with me. 
um, this was like during the time where I went on my anime hiatus. So I watched some episodes and then life got so busy that I just never continued and then I never officially finished the series itself. So with that being said, uh, I am going to ask you, Agnes, since I do know you have seen it, like, what did you think of the world as well? The world of Magi is really fascinating. And I think if you like ancient world type of histories, because there is in Magi later on in the manga, at least there's like a Greco-Roman influence. There's, uh, there's also like Arabian, Indian, I think Alibaba's country or like kingdom is heavily inspired by southeastern asian cultures and some indian influence in the architecture mm-hmm. yeah that's right so mm-hmm. it's actually really fascinating of him, of the mangaka kind of doing their research to construct this ancient world type of era that we would have read in books and also throw in you know an element of magic and the and the genies are a big part of it as well the dijin and all of the the magical predecessors that came, like they talk about Queen Sheba, they talk about Aladdin. You know, those are figures of an old age. They're not figures of our current modern age. And so it gives you that sense of mysticism and, and fantasy that's really nice. Mm-hmm. Does that tickle your history, minor Agnes? <laughs> it did. It did. I think that was the reason why I held on so long to Magi when I was reading the manga because they were throwing in so many Greco-Roman um they were throwing a lot of Middle Eastern, a lot of uh, Asian, and a lot of um, biblical references, too, because they talk about David, they talk about Sheba. And so I sat through and I was like, wow, this is so cool. And then you get to the near end of Magi where everything is kind of thrown together. You don't really know what's going on and you don't really agree with a lot of the rationale of the plot. But you're like, well, the world's fascinating anyway. I just stuck around for the ride. Wow. Yeah, that's a pretty good testament to how well written the world is or the how good the yeah. world building is. If everything The world else- building is really good. I think even the magical concepts that they describe in the later half of the manga is also really compelling. Mm-hmm. To describe like what are because in Magnostad they talk about the like the the basic forms of magic and their right. elements sort of right like they talk about gravity they talk about fire water earth etc cetera, etc cetera. but then in that later half of the manga they go really deep down as to what affects what and how oh. it is tied with like the world's uh, natural state like talking about gravity oh and showing that a lot of the the predecessors of Eld could do even bigger manipulations of that magic using like the Earth's or at least the planet's um, natural forces and stuff like that. So that was really cool to read into <laughs> personally. <laughs> but then everything else sucked, so. Oh, that's oh, too oh. bad. <laughs> I oh. mean, two of our uh, anime trending staff members can also attest to how crappy Moggy got in the, in the second half where you kind of just doze through it, so... Oh, gosh. Well, okay. In that case, uh, since you had plenty to also share about the two worlds, first question, did Isabel poach any of yours, Agnes? No, actually, I was really surprised that she didn't poach any of mine because there is one that I thought someone was going to poach. (laughs) I could have sworn to God, but... I guess they did it. So unless I'm actually poaching one of yours, Gracie. All right. We'll we'll see. What is it? Uh, let's talk about the first one. The fir- I actually have three, um, in case Gracie had gone before me, but I guess not. So the first one is from a very lovely series that was probably the soundtrack debut for our lovely Ken- uh, Kevin Penkin. 
and oh. that series is Made in Abyss. Okay. <laughs> Did I poach one of yours, Grace? No, it's not. I was <laughs> oh, worried, thank God. though, but I, you do have another <laughs> one that you might poach, so, you know, holding on still, so. <laughs> <laughs> holding on still, okay. I love Made in Abyss's unique idea of subverting layers when it comes to world building, because... When we think about, you know, the big expansive world and places to explore, we think of it all as in one plane, you know, everything exists on the surface. And everything that you go downwards into the earth, like you dig downwards into the earth, you find like the magma core and it's just hot and that's it. There's no, you know, fantasy structure or anything. But the Maiden Abyss makes it so fascinating that it's a fantasy world where the more you dig into like the crust of the planet that they live on, the more new worlds and strange and bizarre environments you find. And the deeper down you go to the core, the more insane you become as well. So there's like this hint of danger, but also this thrill of excitement of exploring untold lands that are not above the surface you know so i think that's what really drew me into made in abyss and the second thing that drew me into it was how unique each of the structures of the layers in made in abyss was you look at a lot of fantasy settings you know they have typical things like jungle mountains da 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 and it's kind of like very repetitive you can read that from i don't know like tolkien's books you can read that in game of thrones and then you kind of get sick of the scenery after a while but Made in Abyss really tickles your fantasy uh, mindset when you have, I think my favorite floor is the Goblet of Giants, where it's these, these like plants that are like literal pools that spring up from the ground and become like these trees filled with water. And it spills off to the edge and creates like this fog steam that surrounds the, the, um, the layer. And it gives this very mystical quality that you wouldn't find anywhere else here on Earth or even in most high fantasy books as well. This is a very weird comment for me, but I just want to say I love it when plants play a factor in the world. They do. You know, like, you know, when you look at like actual really good high fantasy, you know, you've always has like the mushroom forest. The mushroom yes. forest ones are really cool too. <laughs> you know, big fungal spores, you know, they can have like bioluminescent uh spores that just light up or you know it's like kind of dangerous it looks kind of funky and it's like weirdly shaped those are cool too mm -hmm. it's very different than what we have here where it's like you know yes trees and plants and rock croppings and things like that are different but they're all kind of still uniform in some color aside from you know actual natural phenomenons that have make it different colors and different shapes and sizes so it's really refreshing to see that in made in abysses uh background design i think and one of the most memorable scenes i have i think it made of abyss particularly in the goblet of giants is when reggie is going up against one of the main predators on that floor and they skid across the water as they fight on top of these trees the water just kicks up and it reminds me of the rooftop scene in uh the garden of sinners kara no kyokai where shiki like um bounces between buildings and then she skids to a stop on top of a building and kicks up all of the water around her and i could totally see that with regi fighting off against the main predator on the goblet of giants and i was like wow this is nice immersion is <laughs> very nice immersion mm -hmm. what do you think about the animal factor in made in abyss Absolutely terrifying, so it's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> AKA, I you would know, not very, live there. <laughs> you know, it's very rare to see, like, genuinely frightening creatures other than something that's 
otherwise you would have like a usually on staff a monster cgi creator mm. or designer mm-hmm. which is normally seen in more sci-fi films or more i guess um uh like kaiju type of films and things like that but you don't really see it in day-to-day anime so it's really refreshing to see it here in made of an abyss and really immerses you in this world of fantasy that is very foreign and very strange and very dangerous it just reminds me of that one interview they had with Kevin Pankin, where I think I helped to transcribe it, which is why I remember it so well. But basically, when somebody had asked Kevin Pankin, like, if you go down into the Maiden Abyss, like, which level would you stay at sort of thing? And I think he said, whichever level it was, he said it was the one with a lot of, like, with giant spiders. And everyone was like, what? And he's like, well, you know, I'm Australian, and Australia has a lot of giant <laughs> spiders. Him. And so he's like, I think I can That's handle so it. So. <laughs> That's so true, though. Yeah, a lot of the Australian friends that I make online, they're also like, yeah, spiders aren't a big deal. <laughs> and everyone over here is like, what? Yeah, I've heard the same thing, that spiders aren't a big deal, but apparently birds are for them. So. Oh, they hate birds. They absolutely hate birds. (laughs) It's like, I think it's like the the equivalent of, we have something similar here in the US, I think in Texas, right? There's a particular bird that keeps slamming into cars. Oh, grackles? They're dumb. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's how the Australians see a lot of their birds in the the country as well as that they're like public nuisances same thing goes for like jackrabbits too oh yes yeah no grackles are terrible at like my college there's so many of them that they will like cover the roads and they aren't scared of the cars or the people because well you know the people step around them instead of the birds flying away from them so they've learned that essentially humans are no threat and the only way we can like shoo them away especially when there's like a college campus you know football game is that they would have to like line up cars on the roads and all honk at the same time to force the birds away so yeah it's probably grackles Yeah, I think the Australians have an equivalent to that, uh, except with much larger birds. And the fact that a lot of the animals still on Australia is from old prehistoric times mm. makes it even more frightening. Oh, yeah, because they're huge. They do look like yeah. dinosaurs, so just they do. much they're smaller. <laughs> they're frightening. Sometimes my, my Australian friend, she will kind of send into the chat just for shits and giggles about like some latest horror story feed from her Australian... Um, news and then the rest of us who are living here on the west coast just kind of freak out <laughs> <laughs> oh man well i'm glad you mentioned made in abyss because i do agree made in abyss has an incredible world building so you have two other options now and i'm curious to see which of the two you're going to pick and i'm still holding my breath as to whether you're going to poach one of them <laughs> <laughs> i don't think you'll poach these two I don't think they're your flavor, so that's why I, I, I'm I'm fairly confident that I'm not poaching anything from you. Okay. My second one is Akudama Drive. Oh, oh okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because... Oh, quick note, our anime of the year for a 2021 award, so a 2020 anime, but Akudama Drive did win our anime of the year awards, so please continue. <laughs> Yes, uh, PSA, Akudama Drive wins Anime the tr- anime Training Awards. Please go watch it. It's fantastic. Anyway, <laughs> the reason why I want to talk about Akudama Drive is there are so few animes that dive really deep into the cyberpunk genre. Mm-hmm. Like, very few. The only ones that did such a good job and are still rememberable today are a lot of, like, Mamoru... Uh, 
um, Oshi's older works like Ghost in the Shell and stuff, where they do play a huge role in the environment. But for some reason, anime hasn't been able to quite pull it off to the same extent that we see it in other medias like video games. For instance, like we think of the um, the recent cyberpunk game that just came out is extraordinarily aesthetic, neon lights, gritty atmosphere, rain, like, you know, falling all over the place. Uh, but it's absolutely gorgeous to watch. In Akudama Drive, they basically do the same thing and it emulates a lot of elements from other cyberpunk-ish inspired shows like Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. And it has like all the neon lights, the floating holographic scenes, uh, screens, and just this weird, drippy, dark atmosphere that is really nice to see that I don't think I can see anywhere in other pieces of media. I just thought it reminded me a lot of Psychopaths when I was watching Akudan. Oh yeah, Psychopaths. Yeah. So, but I feel mm-hmm. like Psychopaths is a little bit too clean. Yeah, it is. That's what it, yeah. Yeah. So Akudama is kind of like a darker version of it and definitely more cyberpunk than obviously what Psychopaths oh, is. Can you, yeah. as, as someone who isn't as much in that world, like, can you describe what do you mean by too clean versus Akudama drives, I guess, not too clean? <laughs> cyberpunk is like the modern day genre of steampunk it is to London where it's very gritty. There's a lot of steam. There's a lot of gas. There's a lot of things that are unclean and unpolished, but mm. it hides behind the facade of beautiful glittering neon lights and floating holographic displays and technological marvels. Steampunk is kind of like that too, at least in the genre of, in comparison to London, which is like this beautiful resplendent city, but then steampunk is like very gritty with these gears, ho- homemade, kind of homebrewed inventions, you know, stick on the uh, arm implantments and stuff like that. Um, versus in Psychopath, Psychopath is clean because the characters themselves are still wearing like modern day clothes, oh. but not a lot of them have like not a lot of them have cybernetic implants, and they and the only thing that is technically different per se is let's say the um, the robots that assist them and the 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 psycho the gun that they use. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. I see. Yeah, I guess like if you would put two and two side by side, Psychopath has a lot of blues. Like blues and blacks. Yeah, that's true. But mm-hmm. Agudama Drive has like a smattering of colors across like a very dark range of like purples, reds. It, neon. neon it's neon. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's the neon. It's the neon color that pops out. And that's a very definitive uh, part of um, cyberpunk. Well, I didn't watch Akudama Drive, so I will insert the opinion of someone who doesn't usually watch anime, but when I told her that it won our Anime of the Year award, she got really curious and decided to take a look at it because she also is really excited over the fact that our community actually voted an original anime and she herself is an original screenwriter. So yes, I am talking about Shada, but Shada watched the first episode of Akudama Drive and literally immediately texted me and was like, deserved win. And I was like, oh. yeah. I was it's like, so cool. whoa, I'm like, I'm like, please don't tell me you watched the whole series already somehow. And she was like, no, I just watched one episode. And I'm like, how can you decide it's anime of the year just based on one episode? And she said it was the world building, like the expansive yeah, world. It's really good. Yeah. Like she just said, it just caught her eye. It caught her attention. It just did such a good job as a, as a hook. And she was just like, that was an excellent first episode to an entire series. Like it did everything it needed to do. And, Gosh, she's like, the world is so 
beautiful in a tragic way and she's like which is exactly up her alley and I was like wow like it really made an impact on her so and once again that's someone who doesn't usually watch anime and it just blew her mind away at, so I believe you when you say Akadama's Drive world is just an incredible sight to behold Isabel did you feel as much love for that anime slash that world as well or are you a little more reserved in that regard <laughs> yeah I actually really loved it as well I feel like anything um you know, with kind of high-tech futuristic things really interest me as well. Like, I was going to choose Psychopaths as one of mine, too, just because. Um, mm. But when you said Akudama, I'm like, wait a second, Akudama is awesome, too. <laughs> <laughs> She's torn between two choices. I know, yeah. So I didn't even think about that. So I'm glad you brought that up. Just uh, the way the city is and the colors, I really like them, too. So I'm also excited that you mentioned that Cyberpunk 2077 because it's supposed to be an anime coming out for that? Yeah, it's supposed mm -hmm. to be. Wait, really? Wait, 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 wasn't that cool. game a disaster, though? <laughs> yes and no. Um, I mean, the devs rushed a lot of the production, but people who have played the game through most of it say, like, it's not bad. Mm -hmm. Okay. The story content is good. So, yeah, I think at least the idea of it is something I would really like to see in anime, so it'll be interesting mm -hmm. to see. Yeah, me too. And Yeah, so... I really liked it overall. The colors are really different, and I think the theme of you know cyberpunk is having everything kind of at night. So I don't remember anything that happens in the daytime at all. Like everything's so it's kind of depressing in a way because it's like raining, it's at night. They're trying, it's, and it's really uh, Akudama in general is really thrilling as well with all the fight scenes and uh, kind of different characters. I would say um, as well. Absolutely, mm -hmm. yeah. I also like the fact that Akudama Drive doesn't name its characters, but gives them very generic titles, which I know is a a, a trope from the the author himself, who tends to not name his characters but slot them into tropes, and it even adds more to the ambiguity of their identities in this like cyberpunk world where their identities don't matter per se. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was gonna say that I I felt like that was purposeful for my oh, understanding no, of it. yeah he he definitely decided not to give them names for that very reason like it was because they were criminals right so in a way it was dehumanizing mm. to them to like not give them an actual identity and stuff or am i wrong <laughs> no, no no that's that's correct yeah that's that's the reason why and it's also to kind of like blend it into this world where they don't really have identities as citizens Oh, yeah, because that was a huge part of the theme. Oh, I, I should watch Akadon Drive. I think you should. I think, I think you definitely should. Watch it with wide eyes. Watch it with curiosity and watch the scenery. So the scenery is gorgeous. I mean, Gracie, I, I mentioned this earlier, too. Gracie, did you watch Blade Runner? Like, the original Blade Runner? Oh, like the movie movie with Harrison yes, Ford? Yes, I have. Yes. <laughs> the opening scene is exactly like the opening scene from Blade Runner. Oh, and he did say like it was that, very heavily influenced by a lot of Western yes. pieces. So Yes, if you like that, you'll like Akudama Drive. Okay, got it. My last question to you two, and I'm guessing I know the answer, but my last question to you two is, which of the two worlds do you prefer? Because we kind of compared them. Do you prefer Psychopaths or do you prefer Akudama Drive in regards to your favorites? <laughs> Mm, I didn't watch much of Psychopaths. I think I barely finished season one, so I don't really know what goes on in season two or three of the movies. But I prefer Akudama Drive just because it actually explores the scope outside of their city as well. Mm -hmm. 
And it unravels the mystery of why there is this train that is worshipped by the people and goes like far and far beyond to deliver whatever that needs to be delivered to a distant province. And I think that adds to a much bigger understanding of what is it out there? What can we do to achieve and escape our city and be free kind of thing? And adds to the world building rather than just a particular city. From my understanding of psychopaths, at least in season one, everything is constrained in a single city. Mm-hmm. I would so nothing really changes. I think it's so that's almost just the entire country because of the whole system thing. But no, I, I but basically I get what you're trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for me. Um, yeah, so I would I would actually like Psychopaths a lot more, and that's probably because I've watched all three seasons and the movies. Yeah, there you go. So <laughs> yeah, I figured. I kind of have a more better idea of the world, and Alcadamo Drive only has one season, and, you know, it's complete, so uh, that's what we're, that's what we're working with there, but in Psychopaths, there's also, especially in the movies, where Kogami kind of goes to a different country where they're not- Yep. Where they kind of have the psychopaths, but not really in a sense, and they have kind of like this oh. older kind of military things. Like I just like the fact that they kind of come back to our time as kind of like in transition to from our world to kind of a more futuristic world. So I like the comparison mm. between those two things, and they can travel. You know, there are things that I recognize in our society, like helicopters and stuff like that. So not everything is, you know, not everything's the same as uh, the city or the country that they are in in psychopaths but when they go outside the country and are trying to help other countries that's when i feel like the world of psychopaths is more interesting to see mm-hmm. gotcha okay that makes sense yeah I, I figured that since you're the veteran of all three of us of watching psychopaths you would have more knowledge of the world itself i just erased season two because i didn't like it so. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah season two yeah we can probably erase that and move forward to season, season three and the movies i rec- totally recommend those <laughs> Okay, so if I were to finish season one in its entirety, I basically rewatch it from start to finish because I watched it in chunks. Should I skip season two without any context? Uh, and but the thing was, like, one of the characters in season two, like, continues to show up in the other seasons that I feel okay. like you kind of need context yeah. for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Just to know what happens to the characters. Yeah, because it carries on to season three. Season three is kind of a new start because of the other characters. But okay. it's yeah, the other characters also pop up, so it's kind of better to know it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or else you're gonna be like, "Who's these people?" <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair. Yeah. In that case, I will do an attempt to skim through season two potentially. <laughs> we'll see. All right. Well, it is my turn, and mine were not po- uh, poached, so I am very, very happy. <laughs> that's great. So <laughs> take it away. Uh, my first pick is actually one that's currently airing, and I would have never expected myself to fall in love with like the world building that it is. But do not hate me, Agnes, for this. But I did pick Sub Subiqui Bisco for one of my favorite worlds. I just love the post-apocalyptic desert fueled sort of land and world with like mafia (laughs) controlled cities and the fact that there's these sea creatures out like who have adapted to an ocean of sand and sand instead because in a weird way like I don't know if any of you guys have been to uh, like like a large large desert before but I did go to one that's a national park so it was it was huge and it is just this sort of like silence and when the wind blows and the sand like kind of moves with the wind 
it does kind of sound like waves. So to me, it made perfect sense that these in this world, the sea life creatures are the ones dominating on in this like sandy post-apocalyptic world because there are, despite the fact that they might seem like completely opposite, you know, environments, and, and in many ways they are, they are kind of similar as well with the open expansion of it all and how easy you can get lost. And let me tell you, those sand mounds can get really tall really quickly. Like falling down into one of them can very, very easily kill you. And unfortunately, I do know that, you know, there are certain travelers and, you know, people who did not follow the rules in these big deserts who have fallen into sand mounds and just never was able to climb back out again in the same way that the ocean is just ever reaching down below. And so I just love the fact how they incorporated sea animals to dominate in a world of sand and post-apocalypta and of course the mushrooms the um in this world like mushroom creepers are sort of like uh they're they're chased by the government because of a rumor that they're the ones who caused the rust and also because of false uh oh what's the word Oh no, where you you see the data and you and you get like a false dichotomy between the two data sets. There's a word for that. Oh gosh, oh gosh, this is going to bother me so much. But basically it's like when you see data set and you come to a conclusion except the that is you come to the wrong conclusion of the two data sets. But uh but basically they talked about how the mushrooms in there there they they cure the rust, which is sort of the apocalyptic disease that has taken over. And they absorb the rust and they kind of use it as their own like food source and fertilizer. So in areas that are very rust heavy, there tends to be a lot of mushrooms and people saw rust heavy, rust, uh, lots of mushrooms. They, their brains went, oh, mushrooms are the ones causing the rust. When in reality, it's the other way around. The mushrooms are showing up because the rust exists. And because of that, mushroom keepers are uh, persecuted because they, People think that mushroom keepers are the ones who are spreading the rust, which is also very, very realistic to real life. But how the mushroom keepers literally just fight with giant mushrooms popping out of like creatures eyes and like mouth, whatever they hit with their arrows. And then we have like these blowfish flying in the sky, like with like this expansive sand underneath it. I just really, really love it. And we have giant crabs everywhere just roaming. Or I think one of them is a giant shrimp with like a shrine on its back, which also kind of reminded me of like the lion turtle and uh, Avatar The Last Airbender with how big it is and how people have built things on top of it. And so it's just I love it when I just love it so much. And I thought it was just so quirky and it was so unexpected because I never in my life would have read its summary or looked at the chapters or even when I looked at the PVs thought that I would find this world to be so intriguing. But here I am just waiting every Monday for the episode because I just want to see what's going to happen next. And I just also really just want to see more of the world itself. So, yeah. That is my first pick, and I do know that Agnes watches this anime, so, you know, do you disagree or do you agree? <laughs> I actually definitely agree with you that Bisco has a very interesting setting, although now I have to ask you a question now. Between that and Decadence, which one would you prefer more for a post-apocalyptic setting? I would prefer Bisco, without question. Okay. Yeah. 
And what's the difference between that? Because they, you talked about how like both of them have marine animals that are kind of coasting along this uh, barren landscape. So I think Decadence is a lot more contained, which it is for obvious reasons, because it was kind of like a virtual gaming reality for uh, for these gadgets and uh, or gadgets uh, creatures. And mm. I, and I think and I don't think they utilized the sea creatures on like a desert as creatively as uh, uh, Bisco did because they were sort of just all thrown in there and they're all monsters who are there to attack. But in regards to but in regards to Sabiquibisco, uh, we have Octagawa, who is a pet crab, essentially, who's their transport. And then we also have like, and like I said, the whole shrimp thing with the shrine on its back because it's so big that humans just thought it was land and built a shrine out of it. Like that sort of thing I really, really like. And it's different versus just they're all sea monsters who are on land who are attacking people and eating people and you need to defeat them sort of thing. So that's okay. my thing yeah. in regards to the um, sea monsters comparison. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I definitely understand that for sure. Yeah, I have a question about the when you first watched it, though, Gracie or Agnes, mm -hmm. uh, when you saw, you know, the crabs. Like, I watched, I only watched the trailer. I haven't watched the show. So for me, watching the trailer, I am thinking, what the heck is going on? And, uh, <laughs> the fact that you said that that was a shrimp carrying the shrine on its back, I feel like that's so, so weird because the shrimp is tiny in my eyes but this shrimp is ginormous i couldn't believe right. it was the shrimp so at first did you not like it at all or did you fall in love with it first episode agnes you can go first <laughs> uh i saw the screenshots of gracie posting it all over social mm -hmm. media so at that point i was kind of immune to it i'm like all right shock factor is nothing to me okay we'll just keep watching the show so oh, i, I have, spoiled like, it to you <laughs> Yeah, you, I, you, it, I mean, I don't really care. I mean, I just scroll through my social media feed. Whatever I see, I see. I don't really get angry at seeing spoilers because, you know, it's on the internet. You're going to find it somehow anyway, so don't get upset about it. Um, So I just saw it and I'm like, oh, this looks interesting. Maybe it'll pique my interest to actually sit down and, like, watch it. And it's actually not bad. So I fell in love with it in the first episode. <laughs> Obviously, yes. I did. I just, I loved it so much. Also, hippos came out with like gun machines on strapped to their back and they were like shooting with the hippos like how cool is that i mean it's insane but it's really cool you know so i have a taste for the wild things and that just tickles me in all the best ways and i and i also always love a good mafia sort of story so the cities itself being very mafia-esque, you know, that's a huge check mark in my alley, but alleyway. But uh, yeah, it is weird. I'm not going to deny it. And every week I'm just kind of like, I cannot believe that this world exists and the way that it was written. But I think the fact that every week that um, I think it's the fact that I was so shocked by the world has it has added to my love for it because it's a little hard now after watching so many anime to feel shocked towards any of the word, bu word building. I can love the way it looks. I can love the way it feels. Uh, like Violet Evergarden's world is very lush with a lot of different countries and cultures. And I did, and I did love that a lot. But with Sabiqui Bisco, when, when that mushroom keeper was shooting arrows and ginormous mushrooms were like popping off of people's backs as a way to fight, I was sold, and that's all there was to it. So yeah. Okay. 
I was going to say, Gracie keeps mentioning the mafia aspect, and I just want to ask, isn't it just because it's Suda Kenjiro? No, I do have okay. a thing for mafia. <laughs> <laughs> so, don't worry, that was a rhetorical question. <laughs> That's a fair question, to be completely honest, and I mean, you saw Jan's tweets on our anime trending tweet uh, Twitter, thirsting for <laughs> Suda yeah. so, so that is a fair question but no I do actually like mafia stuff so not just Suda Ken <laughs> all right so my second favorite world is actually Astra Lost in Space it's kind of my points are kind of similar to what you talked about in Made in Abyss actually granted I don't mm. think the sceneries and the visuals are as strong per se but I, but more of like the thought that went into each of the planet rather than layers that I really, really liked. So uh, I am going to say, like, heavy spoils. Oh, shoot. Okay, wait. Are any of you two planning to watch it? <laughs> I already finished Astro Lost in Space. What are you Okay, okay, about? good. I read your review and I went to go oh, watch it. Oh, that's right. You enjoyed it. That's right. Okay, what about you, Isabel? <laughs> I haven't seen it, but I'm totally all right for spoilers, so. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna keep that one big spoiler part out. Uh, okay. Sorry. So, <laughs> yeah, I th- I, yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm gonna keep quiet about that one. But anyway, Astro Lost in Space. I really like the thought that went into each of the planet. Once again, it is unfortunately like not as visually strong as Made in Abyss. Made in Abyss has incredible visuals. Like no one's gonna deny that. And I think it actually won best in visuals, like sceneries and visuals. Anyway, so. Our anime community is amazing in regards to who they vote to win. Uh, but uh, in Astro Lost in Space, each of the planet have their own set of vegetation, their own set of weather, and their own set of animals. And I can tell that the author put a lot of research in regards to how ecosystems work and how they sort of depend on each other and keep a planet moving, per se. Like, one of the worlds I remember was it was the plants were all, were all carnivorous. And which means that they don't they're not just like absorbing sunlight and taking nutrients from the soil and growing and like producing their own like energy glucose. But they are actually eating other things. And what happens is how they uh, how the plants do it is essentially they like release this sort of toxin pollen, toxic pollen into the air and it poisons uh, the living creatures nearby. And the living creatures, uh, when they die and decompose, the, the, the roots of the plants will actually absorb the, car- absorb the nutrients from the dead animals and it feeds the plant life, which is very similar to the few carnivorous plants that are existing on Earth. They genuinely, they break down these insects. They, they don't eat like mammals or anything, but they do break down insects and they eat them. Uh, but the thing is, uh, but the thing is, the people and uh, the main characters in Astro Lost in Space, when they realized this was happening, they also thought to themselves, like, hey, like, these plants are everywhere. So how are there still living creatures on this world, then, if they release just this plume of this plume of toxins in the air that would basically kill anyone who breathes it? And they realize it's because the plants themselves have developed, evolved and developed into something where they have, um, where they have certain flowers, where they bloom certain flowers that actually acts as an antidote. And so some of, and so some of the creatures are plant eaters who eat the flowers and they, um, and they become immune to the poison itself. And so they end up being fine. 
but some of the other, but the flowers themselves, they're not numerous, as in they're not just everywhere. So not all the plant eaters get to eat them. And so, which ensues this cycle of life that will always, like the plant eaters get the food they need and then some of them die, which fuels the plants, which provides more food for the plant eaters to eat. And And I just really love that sort of, you know, research and thought process put into this is how an ecosystem works in this world. And it sounds weird. And, you know, it is unique in that case, but it is also very real and scientific. And so, and that's just one of the planets. One of the other planets at first looked like it was just a beach episode where it's like, oh, this is the relaxing planet with like the water and the beaches and the sands. And that's all there is to it. But then, no, even that one ended up turning to something else where at a certain point in time of the day, the tides rise really, really high where essentially the beach just disappears and it becomes this full like ocean of like this full planet of ocean or water before it subsides down again, which obviously calls back to the tides on Earth, which can change very drastically depending on the pool of the moon. And so but in this case, it just amplified a lot more. And so the, I just provided two examples of like the planets and the thought process went behind in each of them and how they operate. But all the other ones, they all have their unique environment, their unique ecosystem, plant life and, you know, animals and how they all feed into each other. And of course, the biggest thing in the world building that I will not give away actually has to do with the humans themselves and the world that they come from and how they came to be. Because at first glance when you start the first episode it just looks like a futuristic you know society and that's all there is to it but obviously as the anime continued there were some huge huge twists in regards to what it really actually is that I'm just not gonna give away because Isabel hasn't seen it yet so yeah and that's like just too big of a plot twist for me to give away so so that's my second pick for my favorite world in regards to uh in regards to Astro Lost in Space, what did you think of the planets per se, uh, Agnes, when you had watched the anime? <laughs> I didn't think much about the planets for some reason. I think I was more absorbed in the mystery plot mm, yeah. of mm-hmm. it. But I definitely, now that you re-describe the, the whole planet's ecosystem, it's like re-printed, it's, I'm sorry, it's seared back in my mind. Basically, and I'm thinking about it and being like, wow, yeah, I would have been really interested in just sitting there, just analyzing all of the planets instead of being like, hmm, I wonder who the suspicious one in this group is. It's literally <laughs> Among Us, the anime. So. <laughs> it's Among Us, the anime. I mean, it came out at a great time, too, uh, just around the time that Among Us did actually come out. Oh, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, wait, actually, no. The, I think, no, no, no. I, I'm I'm wrong. It came out at the same time as Talentless Nana. Oh, that's when we started generating yes, the yes. memes. And I think Astro Lost in Space came out the year before that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, that's that sounds about right. But yes, it is basically Among Us in Space. <laughs> Among Us in Space. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty. Well, I think that covers our anime worlds per se. So, um, but we got to continue with Agnes's French disaster because she inherited a very strange jewel from a museum. So now she's a thief unwillingly. And then she herself got, she herself got thieved, AKA kidnapped by other people. So, you know, you landed in a spot with a very scary looking woman who is a total top. Your own words, not mine. Uh, (laughs) I do want to reiterate that. It is your own words. She was, uh, (laughs) A very intimidating top. If it was any other situation, I would have groveled at her feet. But, you know, (laughs) it's one of those things. Okay, so what happened? Uh, Anyway, I am 
absolutely terrified for my life because who is this woman sitting on basically a plastic chair, but sits on it like it's her throne and she looks like she's about to kill me. Uh, she descends from the chair, the throne, and she glares at you with like this in- extraordinary an- animosity that I feel like I will actually perish on the spot. And after some beats of silence, she finally speaks. And she speaks with a tinged French accent. Um, but for some reason, I can understand her. I don't think she is, like, American. I don't think she's, uh, like, uh, someone from the UK or anything. But she sounds French. But it's not heavily accented like uh, other people in the country are. And she asked me, why have you stolen my jewel? And I'm like, your jewel? Are you like the museum curator? I don't know who the hell you are. But I just confess anyway and tell her about all the events that have happened because, well, it's been a crazy ride. And if she's going to kidnap me, I might as well tell her all the weird magic that happens, right? And at some point in the conversation, her expression starts to falter a little bit. And then I can see like the crease in her eyes and I can see like this furrow in her eyebrows. And I think to myself, wait a minute, she looks really familiar and my brain is racing trying to figure out where she is from as I am trying to recount her this whole story of mine and how the jewel came into my possession and then my mind remembers the opening image of a portrait that is posted in front of the museum to celebrate the opening of the exhibit for Isabella the She-Wolf of France and right as she's about to speak after I finish my sentence like split second after I immediately like gasp and I start fangirling and I'm like oh my god you are Isabel the she-wolf the the the, the she-wolf that I just went to go see the exhibit right because they kidnapped me from the Louvre museum where they're just literally having that same you're such a history looks, nerd Agnes <laughs> I know I know it's like ugh, I, I can't help it okay <laughs> I you know as much as women were not treated well during that period women who could actually be queens mm. and assert their own power are very admirable I see. by the way anyway um i start fangirling immediately after that i lose all of my nervous composure and here i am just babbling um especially because i'm the type of person that when i go to a museum i read a lot of the plaques carefully and i kind of end up storing a lot of it in my brain at some point and if i go like if i'm at the museum with my mom or something she'll look at a painting that i just walked past by and she'll ask me what it is i just start spouting stuff that i just read off the plaque like minutes ago so it's the same situation here. I just start praising her for all of her deeds that I remember reading and also on my own personal research as well. And she uh, she looks a bit very awkward, a bit uh, kind of blushy because she's just like, who, who is this like, you know, just babbling about me. But then as I continue talking about her, her expression falters and she starts to look a bit sad. And it's clear that with the accomplishments and reputations that she's done, it's something that she might have regretted in doing. There's like a flash of regret, a darkening of features. It doesn't look like she's wants to kill me anymore, but she just feels like like someone telling her this recounted story of hers is not something that she idealized to be. Um, and then so when I finish kind of babbling and I'm out of breath, the tension has eased away from the conversation and she's no longer antagonistic towards me. Instead, she just says with a kind of like a royal humph that she she's flattered by the by my recounts of her history or whatever, but what she needs now is the jewel that's in the bracelet. And 
she says like you uh she needs to do what she needs to do with that bracelet and i'm like yeah sure take it from me this is kind of a freaky day so i try to hand her the bracelet bracelet doesn't budge i try to you know pick at the jewel that's in the the divots of the bracelet and try to hand it towards her but it doesn't come off she looks actually quite devastated by the fact that she that I cannot physically separate myself from this and her henchman even came over and gave to me like you know those uh um those bolt cutters like you'll see in like horror games and stuff they tried to they tried to snap that bracelet in half didn't budge and I was like probably this bent is, this the actual thing <laughs> yeah it's it's kind of it's kind of freaking me out because I'm like if that bracelet doesn't snap from bolt cutters I don't know what's gonna snap to um but anyway, she looks a bit devastated with the fact that I physically cannot part with this bracelet, um, but reassures me that I will be working with her and and that be, and that it's kind of like a mutual relationship, you know, because I don't want this, but she wants it. We'll figure we'll eventually figure out a way to break, take this bracelet off of me. She thanks me for agreeing with her. And and then she promised me that she will make sure to find um a way to get off that bracelet and also ensure that I will have a very normal life after that. Which I was like, okay, yeah, I can kind of flow along with this because my life in France has been anything short but crazy. So if she can take this thing off of me, maybe wipe memories <laughs> or something afterwards with whatever she has, maybe some old medieval potion or something, that would be nice. <laughs> you know, I could just go back to my family, work in the fall restaurant, wait until the citizenship back in the U.S. opens up. And she, with that in mind, uh, she kind of like um, raises a hand towards my face. There's a green glow on her fingertips. And instead of knocking unconscious, I find my vision kind of blurring for a second. And then it snaps back to the museum lobby. However, the lobby is now empty. It seems like it's been cleared out and there are no security guards there. And it looks like it's time for closing. People are kind of like, they're, they're like pedestrians outside, but it looks like they're leaving for work. It's the afternoon now. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I guess this is as good of a time to slip out. And so just by, just by strolling through the empty museum, I just do that and I just kind of disappear back into the crowd. And that's where we'll end the story there because we're pretty much out so, of time at this point. Wait, did you imagine it? I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know, man. <laughs> but I, it seems like I have a pretty strong recollection of it. Um, I, so I don't think I fully, I actually, it was like an imagination. It was very clear in my head how it played out. Got it. All right. Well, we are definitely out of time now, so I'm afraid we will have to put a stop to this particular uh, segment, but we will continue next week. So I hope everyone enjoyed us talking about our favorite anime worlds and are continuing to hold on to hear what's going to happen next and when Agnes is finally going to return <laughs> to the U.S. with us, uh, considering that this happened within like two months maybe and so um it sounds about right it's been just one wild day after another but thank you everyone for listening and i hope you will be with us next time bye everyone bye bye, bye.